0: Hi, this is Michelle Astley with Balance Shared, a space where I truly believe we are better together. My guest today is Naomi Eklund. She uses the pronouns she, her, hers. Naomi is the owner and manager of Infinite Yes Coaching, where she serves as a coach, mentor, trainer, author, and public speaker. And she operates Infinite Yes Production, featuring the YouTube show Metaphysical Life Support. Naomi was born with all of her clairvoyant gifts and has been using them since middle school to help people. She has studied varied forms of spirituality and connecting with the divine her entire life. Naomi believes consciousness and awareness will create opportunities for prosperity and healing the world. Thank you so much for being here today.
1: Thank you, Michelle. I'm so excited to be here. It's lovely.
0: So a story just popped up into my head, and I think I want to start with that. I have always been fascinated with clairvoyant gifts, ESP, and things. And one space where that really stuck out to me is my—I uh, was in sixth grade, and my stepdad and I were driving back from my a late stepsister's softball game. And so she and I were both the same age, and so she was in sixth grade playing softball, and uh, you know, for some middle school team. She, this is what she was—a sports person. And we drove by on our way home just city road uh, a chain link fence and it occurred to me I had seen that exact same fence before and it was like in a dream or something and uh, I couldn't remember I knew the dream was recent but I couldn't remember what day and the thing that bugged me about that was I didn't know what I was supposed to do next (laughs) so having lived your entire life with these kind of gifts and then Using them to support your work. I was just curious, like, how did that come about? I know that that's probably a bigger story than we have time for. Oh,
1: this is <laughs> this. I mean, this is awesome. Let's pull up the margaritas and go. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know it, it, you know as as you look at that particular story that you're talking about and when you're in 6th grade the world is such an interesting place because there's this internal battle of i love my family i have to figure out who i am where do i fit with my friends and and like like all of these things emerging inside of this tiny little body and and not not having a lot of understanding of it um So in that particular situation, there's the first thing that came to me is there is, there are dreams. um, There's astro travel, there's multiple coexistent realities, and there are other possibilities. Um, I don't think that particular one was an Akashic records deal because I don't think that particular fence was there in previous lifetimes. Um, But I think when, when you for for me, when I'm doing my work, and if I can hold the space for a person and observe with them and observe what they're saying, then we get bigger clues into what exactly that meaning has. Now, when you were talking about that particular life, what I felt was multiple coexistent realities. And sometimes we talk about deja vu. And I think what we're really talking about is multiple coexistent realities, which some people call string theory. And some people like to say past lives aren't existent. Well, you know, let's talk to Stephen Hawking's about multiple coexistent realities. And then we have a science mind in here with the metaphysical mind. Um, so when, when you were telling that story, the, you know, deja vu, I think sometimes is multiple coexistent realities. And what that means for the a listener who, who isn't familiar with the term, is that multiple realities exist at the same time, and some people call them veils that keep us in the lane of the lifetime that we're currently experiencing, and that doesn't mean that there isn't another version of Michelle living in a similar area or the same area in a different timeline or having a different experience. Um, and I think these are really important for us to pay attention to, because a lot of times, a, a man came to me, who's been a client off and on for years, and he met a woman, and he's been wanting to meet the right woman for a long time, and he's met met a lot of almost right women. And um, he met this woman at a barbershop, I think, and he was completely drawn to her, and he could tell she was drawn to him, but she was with somebody else. And after that initial meeting, She just pushed away. And then sometimes when they meet, she's totally open and sometimes she's not. Well, sometimes this is a psychological issue, but in this particular case, I saw that it was a was a different lifetime that's fairly parallel in which they are having a happy relationship, which is why they're drawn to each other in this lifetime. But in this lifetime, they're not really going to end up together. And so if we can sort of understand these things and separate out the possibilities, it gives us a little bit of peace of mind. Neither one of them are doing something wrong because they feel attracted and possibly loving each other. It's just that it's not in this particular lane or this lifetime, but it is happening. Um, So in that particular lifetime, when you saw that fence, I think it was probably a trigger for Something that was happening in a similar lifetime and a similar timeline, but not exactly as Michelle.
0: Fascinating, so fascinating. There's so many ways we can go with this. Uh, and let let's go forward. If you were to have a vision for our world, what would that look like?
1: Well, first of all, I think it would be that we dropped the qualifiers that make our ego feel trigger that we're better than each other, or we're different than each other. Because right now we're in the middle of the black lives matter. And I completely agree black lives matter and holding that in its sacredness and that support and recognizing that, black lives matter and saying that native lives matter mm-hmm. or other lives matter. I don't say that to negate black lives matter because that each one of those voices needs a place. And then, you know, when people say, well, all lives matter, or blue lives matter. Well, yes, it's all true. But the, the point is, is that, you know, the white ego for so long has been in a position where it had, you know, grasped hold of power, just to to, to go back to what you and I were talking about before we got on the call, if you go back to the entire history of the human race, it's all, everybody's conquering everybody else and there's bloodshed and murder and there's not enough and we have to go get theirs and and all of this. And so black people's lives have been, had been so diminished to be in service of of white people or other cultures being diminished to, to serve other cultures. And, you know, the markers that we use, like skin color, or the way somebody speaks, or the way they're dressed, these are all false markers that we are putting false identities on each other with. And it goes back to if we examine our own identity, and if we clear up our own identity, and if we address our own survival fears, and incorporate our ego rather than allow our ego to become insecure, Then we can look at a person who is of a different race or who dresses differently or sounds differently, and we can treat them like a human being as as an individual in their own right without having to make them more or less than who we are to make ourselves feel better, you know. I, I want to be clear. I'm not a proponent of killing the ego. Like some people say, mm. I don't, I don't, I don't believe as Westerners we're going to ever really have quiet minds. And I don't believe that we're supposed to kill our ego. I believe that we have the ego that we're supposed to educate and incorporate it because it's part of us It's part of who we need to be And our attempts to kill the ego, just make us neurotic. <laughs> um so I think there's an education process of seeing every single human being in their own right, no one as more or less than. Mm-hmm. And yet these these great great individuals, if you think of if you think of a, if you had a if you had an acre and you were going to plant a diverse and amazing garden that was interactive or interdependent, it, it would be. It, incredibly beautiful, but it would not all look the same. No, but what the ego has tried to do is make us all rows of corn or rows of tomato plants or rows of something so that the mind can sort it out. But the mind really doesn't even conceive like one, one millionth of what's true. So we need to, we need to allow each one of those plants in the garden to have its space to grow. And then we have a lush fruitful gar- garden garden the garden as a whole thrives. And Yet each individual plant thrives and inter and intermingles and intercooperates. Mm-hmm. So the short to shorten that answer, it would be that each individual had the right to grow in their own strength mm-hmm. with with fewer rules and laws, and those laws being very clear about not harming, not interfering with others' free will. Uh, you know, almost in a strange way, like the Ten Commandments, like don't mess with each other and love each other, and then do your best.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> love that. Oh, that's so beautiful. I've got a beautiful picture in my head of permaculture and growth and sovereignty. So if we could do that, if we could yeah. harness the power of our ego and hold space to raise each person's sovereignty. What could we accomplish in our world? Well, one of the, the the tagline
1: or the theme for Infinite Yes Coaching is humanizing relationships for pr- prosperous culture. Mm. Because I believe, and I have seen it, because I've gone into very dysfunctional companies. And brought those training pieces together. I, the Enneagram is one of my tools because it's easy for a lot of people to connect with. Um, that's, that's what my book is about, um, or my first book. <laughs> um, in this it would look like it would look like everybody had a chance to say and feel for themselves where they belonged. And I don't know if, if you were in this generation, but my generation, I'm in my mid-50s, um, if you wanted to be an artist, you were, they said, fine, take some art classes, but get an accounting degree so you have a job. Nothing against accountants. I absolutely adore my CPA, um, but it's not the job for everybody. And there's a lot of people doing very practical, mundane work. And systems created to create work <laughs> for people to do this work that doesn 't enable the artist that doesn 't enable the the thinker the librarian I mean we have librarians with two two three master 's degrees making less money than you know people who deliver Pepsi and people who deliver Pepsi are wonderful people who need to be paid well. I'm not sure that a librarian should necessarily be paid less than a Pepsi delivery person. They both are contributing their roles. Now, some people, and I want to be really clear, I am an entrepreneur. I believe in capitalism. I believe in conscious capitalism. As we talked about the triple bottom line, I am not a socialist because I don't think that a political, I don't think that there's, this is a political answer. I think that we also, our our politics and our economy need to be more separated, just like church and state need to be more separated. Hmm. I think that we need to have safety nets. And I think that we need to culturally readjust our point of view so that we value artists, so that artists are paid a fair amount, so that because it's like, it's not going to come. I one time had a a racial argument in a swimming pool in the middle of Kansas when I was on a business trip with a man. And he looked at me and he was very angry. And he said, you are not going to legislate and tell me, tell me that I, I'm not going to use the words he used. Basically, you can't tell me I'm not going to be a racist and no amount of laws are ever going to tell me I'm not going to be a racist. And that was sort of an aha moment for me because. He was committed to his point of view. Mm -hmm. And so as long as people are committed to their point of view, rather than to how do all humans thrive, that's where the problem is. And he said it, we're not going to legislate. We're not going to legislate people waking up. Mm -hmm. We're just not. Um, The thing that changed in the the gay movement was enough people having gay children coming out and saying that I'm gay and realizing that they care more about not losing their kid than they care about their belief that gay is wrong. Mm. So this is where humanizing each other makes the difference. It has to start with each other and a a, a mental attitude
0: shift because we're not going to legislate these changes. You can't, well, it goes back to the sovereignty piece, unfortunately. Yes, uh, we, we can legislate protection. Yes. And I, I
1: completely agree with that because um, until, until minds are changed, we, we need laws that protect so that people have these rights.
0: Yeah. But laws don't change people's minds. No, and the law isn't always ethical or moral. And not always properly enforced. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's take a break. And when we come back, I want to talk about taking humanizing relationships to the home. Fantastic. Welcome back. So one of the things you and I have chatted about is conscious parenting. What is that to you? Consciousness
1: means to be aware. Mm -hmm. consciousness means to to the best of your ability paying attention to what's going on in the space and conscious parenting means to see yourself and see your child and one of the things that we're trained as parents is to want our child to be an extension of us Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and some of that is going to happen because modeling is real um and so i was i was given up for adoption and adopted into a family that i could not relate to don't share their values any of that and so for me it's it was a really interesting journey because a lot of my identity was almost an anti identity and um going into parenting i didn't want my son to feel like he had to resist me so much I kind of wanted to figure out how to sit with him and as a parent, I decided that some of my, some of my role was to teach him to be a good citizen because I do believe that it's really important that we teach our children to be good citizens Um, because there is always a balance between that person's individual rights and being a good citizen.
0: Living in groups.
1: Right. Right. And and I think that there's you know there's there's some real issues there because that that's one of those ego challenges of well I want to play my music loud in the middle of the restaurant yeah but everybody in the restaurant doesn't want to hear your music and that's like you know you're sharing space mm-hmm. so I think like one of the first principles of parenting is understanding what your role really is it's not telling the child who to be it's helping them to be a good citizen it's helping them to learn how to manage themselves in the world. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you do things in the world? What are your cons? What are your conscious competencies? Like my son, when he was in uh, college, when he was 19, he took a residence hall assistant job. And um, he was teaching 19 and 20 year olds how to sort and do their laundry. Um, And we can laugh at that. But, you know, know I don't
0: We know it's true.
1: Yeah, you know, it's true. And I'm not criticizing any parents. I mean, there those parents may have that may have been a single mom with five kids trying to get through, and didn't just she just did it herself. She didn't have time. Um, so, to the best of our abilities, I think teaching them to be good citizens, teaching them the competencies like what is a what is a checking account, what is a savings account, how do you start how do you start investing, why do you want an IRA with your first paycheck? You know, like my son and I, our agreement was always like all of his money like birthday money all of that half of it went into savings half of it went into go do whatever the heck you want nice so nice. that you know you start building these things that give them long term life skills i think sometimes as parents we get so overwhelmed by the daily stuff that we forget what actually is going to
2: make our care team or like life coaches and case managers um and then help her to find employment Based off of the work that she can continue to do so that she can get a place of her own. But she's motivated, but she has this one barrier. And it seems like the most oddest thing, but it's the one barrier that's keeping her from getting what she wants to do. Um, you know, we had another one that was a mom. She has twins. Um, she had never had a job before, but we got her a job but she wants a better job, but the challenge was she didn't have a high school diploma. So we have a a connection with an organization called Grad Solutions. Grad Solutions, it's just like going to high school online. You have someone talking you through everything all the time, but she's working on her diploma so that she can get a a better job um, and then also go to school. So she's working on those educational goals while she has a place to stay, has support for her children. She's going to parenting classes because she's young, and she has twins that are two years old. <laughs> um, but she's also going through some workforce development as well. So there's a lot of things working for her and with her at the same time, while we're also doing, you know, financial counseling.
1: And I think this creates an unfair entitlement, and then the parents get exhausted.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, an example was you know, like when my son needed a break, I would, you know, say, okay, go take 20 minutes, be in your room. You're clearly tired, whatever. I was getting crabby one afternoon. He was about nine and he grabbed my, I was in the kitchen and he grabbed my hand and he walked me to my bedroom and he said, mommy, you need a nap. I'm going to go out here and be quiet. I'll be back in 20 minutes. <laughs> and you know what? I let him do that. And he was a hundred percent, right. I <laughs> need, needed a timeout.
0: Oh, that's so,
1: so awesome. So checking yourself, you know, I think, and watching your kid, you know, because I'm, I'm a talker, I'm an explainer. My son is more of an introvert and he's a boy and boys relate less to words. I think as moms, we have to be careful about over talking our boys. He was about maybe eight and something had happened and, and I was trying to explain to him like mm-hmm. everything I thought about it. We're sitting at the kitchen table. I always remember this moment. And he looked at me, and he's got these big, you know, little eight-year-old curly head, just adorable. He's got these big tears welling up in his eyes. And I'm like, oh, my God, honey, what is wrong? he goes, Mom, I'm really trying to listen, but your words are blah, blah, blah in my ears. I can't understand what you're saying. And he put his little hands up to his ears. Like, he's like, I'm making mush in his ears. And I just shut the F up. (laughs) And and what I learned in that moment was it's easier for him as a boy at that age, if I just say yes or no. Mm. And so our agreement from that point on is I'm just going to say yes or no. And if you want more information, let me know. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I remember he one time came up and it was too close to dinner or something he says, mom, I want to go out. And I said, no. And he just turned and went off and, didn't argue with me or anything. Now, sometimes he did argue with me. Don't get me wrong. He's not a saint.
0: Yes. Um, Yeah.
1: And um, later I said, I just said, no, didn't that bother you? He looked at me and he said, no, I knew what you wanted. I went and did something else.
0: (laughs) Okay. So your son is not eight or nine anymore. He is. No. Yeah. He's an
1: amazing 22
0: year old. Awesome. Almost 23. So there's obviously still lots of growing and things that he will evolve to. But at this point in life, you're a pretty dang proud mama.
1: Oh heck yeah! He's um, he he's working to pay as much as he possibly can for his own tuition. He has started his own company. He knows what he wants to do. Um, actually, his company is develop his his company is called Illumination Forge, and they are one of the main uh, vendors. And he's the uh, he's at. The
2: people are doing when they are jealous and how that can start being controlling. For instance, who are your friends? Why are you going where you're going? Those are things that are not showing signs of affection or showing signs of admiration. Those are red flags. Those are warning signs um, because you have to think of, about the fact that you were an individual before you came into the relationship. You had friends and you were freely going wherever you went now it's going to the third degree questioning versus, you know, just casual conversation that you would normally have with anyone. So jealousy is one, um, and that that turns into the controlling piece of even how you're spending uh, money, um, what are you wearing, why are you wearing what you're wearing, um, social media control. Uh, we see that a lot as well. Um, and so we try to catch that even with the younger people, because those are a lot of red flags with, with young people.
0: So your organization is expanding right now.
2: We are, we are looking at, um, so it's, it's almost like a slingshot type of mentality of how we're expanding. So you take a slingshot and you have to pull back before you can launch forward. And so what we started doing was taking a look at um, what we're doing now and what we can do to make it more
1: constructive, loving way before you can master your work or your situation. Because one of the things that I find, especially with my people in higher level entrepreneurial or CEO positions is their stress mostly comes from trying to manage people when they don't really have a clear inner picture. Mm -hmm. Can you just say that again? The stress for most of my high level people, the -hmm. the people who are trying to manage tens or hundreds of thousands of people, um, comes from trying to manage others or lead others without a clear inner picture.
0: Inner picture of themselves or inner picture? inner picture of
1: themselves, inner picture of themselves, because you can't really have a clear picture of another person until you have a clear picture of yourself. Because if you're, if you're making assumptions and thinking, you know, what other people are thinking, but you haven't self-examined, all you're doing is projecting your interpretation onto that person.
0: Mm-hmm. So I, think the, the, I, I just really want to hold space for that for a second. Uh, it goes back to something that um, has been taught in different ways of Christianity. Like when I would go to Bible study and things, but if this idea that if you can't love yourself, how can you love other people? So, and then going back to what you said about, if you're not understanding what's going on inside of you, and then you're projecting something onto it, like how often Do we see that in a space where somebody makes some sort of assumption, somebody of power makes some sort of assumption about the job that their employee, you or whatever has done, and it's not accurate, and they will not let go of that inaccurate picture?
1: And most of the time, they won't let go of that inaccurate picture because they don't have new, better information, which is where I come in. Because if you can help, a person to have new, better information. The vast majority of people are willing to be more humane. Mm. Most people don't have better information. And that is not an excuse. That is, as I was saying earlier, you can't legislate the economy. You can't legislate people not being prejudiced. The pe- the person who, that the, the managers who are so attached to their robotic systems that they can't see their people and they're failing as managers, they don't have better information. Now, in all of my experience, and I've been doing this for almost 30 years, I've really only met two or three people who were probably in the sociopath or narcissistic realm that didn't want better information. But everybody else wants better information. But One of the problems is is that there's so much confusing information. So many people are trying to just sell you systems and all of that. And
0: we're all very busy.
1: Yes. We're all busy. We're all in too many people are in survival mode. But if it comes down to, if you understand yourself, if you can be compassionate with yourself, you can hear other people better. You can not be triggered if you're not triggered, if you're not projecting, you can see that other person, you can ask that other person questions. That's one of the things I like about using the Enneagram as a training tool, because if you can go in and have a manager say, okay, all of
0: these personality types are equal, they just all do different things in different ways and maybe different things better. People who have moved from other places, right? This uh, sometimes in places get very territorial like we were here for three generations or whatever. <laughs> and there's a sort of stigma. It can be hard
1: to do. He's going to get bored and not be as productive. Like Darius is going to be the person who you really can hand multiple tasks to. And in the end of the day, he's going to have those five things done. Whereas, you know, um, Twyla over here, Twyla is a nine and Twyla really likes to be able to do one thing deeply at a time and doesn't like to have a lot of interruptions. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as a manager, then you can, instead of saying, you know, randomly assigning things. So
2: because we are a, a small community base, and I say small, meaning the, as far as the numbers that we see at a time, um, because we are more of a community-based nonprofit, we are not federally and state funded. We rely solely on volunteers and solely on on donors whether those individuals you know maybe they shop for us on Amazon or they they shop on their own on Amazon and they just connect by going on smile.amazon and doing their shopping and then we get a percentage so we really need support from individuals to help us to provide for our survivors things like sheets and towels um, hygiene products, um, paper products, tissue, paper towels, things like that, that people can shop for on Amazon, Walmart. That can help us a great deal because we are providing that for our families. And of course, I would not, I I would be remiss if I didn't mention that. Of course, we can always use individuals that can donate $25 a month, um, that would make a big difference for us. Whereas if you sent it to a huger, much larger place, you know, it's like pennies in a bucket. But for us, we can do a lot with $25 a month.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Where can people find information about your you and your organization?
2: So we are. you uh, we, we can go to our website, which is uh, DCillacenter.org, And you can also find us on social media. We are on Facebook and Twitter. Which is uh, at Desilva Center, and if you uh, are following us on our website, uh, you can go on there and request to have our monthly newsletter sent to you, which is called our Change Makers Monthly, and uh, everything is about making change in the community. So Change Makers Monthly, and you can receive an update on all the great things we're doing in the community. Um, and making connection that way. And we have new articles that are coming out. So you'll be able to receive articles from our new content writers.
0: Oh, awesome. Awesome. And that's Dacillus is spelled D E E C I L L A. So Dacilla Comfort or Dacilla Center.org. Great. We'll have yeah. links to all of those in the show notes. Uh, okay. We have um, a little under two minutes left of our scheduled time. And I was okay. curious. What is one piece of inspiration you would like to pass on to our listeners?
2: One piece of inspiration. I always say um, know yourself to be true. Mm. Know yourself to be true. Um as relationships are very, very important. But as relationships are important, you have to know yourself, get to know yourself, be true to yourself in order before you can build relationships with other people. Um, And this way we can begin to form healthier, um, healthier relationships and healthier communities. So know yourself, be true to yourself before you try to build relationships with others Mm. so that we can all be more healthier in our relationships.
0: And just a better gateway to have those safe spaces held for candid conversations. Absolutely. Yeah. I am so honored that you spent this time with us today. Thank you so much for sharing part of your story and all about your organization.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Oh, you are welcome. Balance Shared is produced and edited by me, Michelle Astley. The instrumental music... Grass by Silent Partner is from the YouTube Audio Library. If you've enjoyed today's episode, leave a review, especially on Apple Podcasts. If you've loved the messages of co-creating a better future and digging into ourselves, maybe you'd like to become a supporter. Email hello at to get your sponsorship guide. Thank you for listening to this podcast. This is Michelle Astley with Balance Shared. A space where I truly believe we are better together. I have my vanity. Um, And I
1: think, and I think the last one, um, since I only have five, I think the last one is to know that whatever words, whether your language for the divine is science, like people like Neil deGrasse Tyson or Stephen Hawking's, or whether your language for the divine is prayer, or whether you're Hindi or Islam or Christian, or whatever your language that makes your soul feel like it's connected to the divine that's legitimate and trust that other people know their voice to connect with the divine so that we can allow each other that free will and stop making how we talk to the divine an argument.
0: Mm. Where can people find you?
1: Uh well Naomi Ackland it, I'm on I'm on Facebook um, Also, they can find me uh, Infinite Yes. Uh, I have a, a Facebook page there. And Metaphysical Life Support. I also have a Facebook page there. Um, you can also reach me at Naomi Eklund2 at gmail.com.
0: Awesome. And we'll have links to all those in the show notes. I am so grateful for you sharing this with us today and I do hope you come back because there's so many things we can dive into (laughs) oh
1: absolutely it's fun um it's it's ever ever since I met you I've enjoyed knowing you well thank (laughs) you so much likewise (laughs) I look forward to it and thank you for having me today and thank you for listening you're welcome
0: balance shared is produced and edited by me Michelle Asley the instrumental music grass by silent partner is from the youtube audio library. If you've enjoyed today's episode, leave a review, especially on Apple Podcasts. If you've loved the messages of co-creating a better future and digging into ourselves, maybe you'd like to become a supporter. Email hello at Asley.com to get your sponsorship guide. Thank you for listening to this podcast. This is Michelle Astley with Balance Shared, a space where I truly believe we are better together.